I am Connor McCloud of the Clan McCloud, and I am immortal. We have a dead guy named Nash. You talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? Lots of different places. I am Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez. Give metalurgist to King Charles V of Spain. Everybody's got their problems. You're alive. Why didn't you die? Hey, it's a kind of magic. Hi, I'm Candy. Of course you are. Hello and welcome to Another Time McLeod, the only podcast, as far as we're aware, that goes through the 1986 classic movie Highlander, Minute by Glorious Minute. I'm your host, Rob Daniel, and as always, it is a pleasure beyond measure to introduce my resplendent co-host, Mr. Rob Wallace. And as always, it is a pleasure beyond measure to be here. Excellent. And it's even more of a pleasure than it normally is today, because we have two glorious guests that are making their debut on Another Time McLeod. Of the Honeymoon Period podcast, it is Mark and Elaine. Hello. Hello. It is a pleasure beyond measure, beyond pleasure to be here. Plus one. Does that work? (laughs) I think so, yes. It is so good to have you guys on. Um, So, yes, I understand that you are Highlander fans, is that right? Uh, Yeah, I think it's safe to say that um, we have two DVDs of Highlander plus a Blu-ray in our house when we when we looked when we knew we were coming on we said how how many Highlanders do we have in the house all all of them Uh, (laughs) so yes we're we're big fans of of Highlander but Elaine in the end there can be only one (laughs) and and how how do you pick I think you go to the ones on streaming because the other ones in the other room Yeah, we haven't actually got the remote to the DVD player handy, so we did just watch this on Netflix. But uh, <laughs> we've got them there just in case it goes off Netflix. Yeah, I've got one of those as well. Um, cool. And to show what Highlander fans you are, you are being really quite lovely and giving up a Sunday evening to record two episodes back to back. So thank you for that. No, it's our, it's our completely, um, to go back to our, the start of the podcast, it's completely our pleasure to be here. We're, we're really excited. Highlander is such a, an important film. I think a lot of people, when they think of like their top films, they might come out with maybe a different list. Uh, but certainly for me, and I think I've dragged Mark along with me as well on this one, um, for me, it, it's really one of my, one of my, my big hitters and, and certainly has such a, quite an emotional resonance as well. And Mark, are you a fan as well? So I kind of came into it late 90s when everyone bought Queen's Greatest Hits Volume 2. And when you used to read the little booklet that came in the CD, sort of three tracks were mentioned as being from Highlander. So uh, A Kind of Magic, Who Wants to Live Forever, and Hammer to Fall. It's a kind of magic. Wants to live forever. Um, Here we are, born to be kings, we're the princes of the universe. Uh, but at the time, the, I think they had the covers of the singles on there, and I know Kind of Magic had the Kurgan on the front, and Who Wants to Live Forever had Connor and Heather. So it just looked like, essentially, Braveheart to me, um, just some historic battle film. But then I eventually sort of eventually was dragged into it because I enjoyed the songs um, and did not expect to see New York in the 80s, 
Nazis, uh, everything else. So enjoyed it, but put it to one side and then met this one sat next to me who told me the error of my ways and forced me to watch it until I loved it. So yeah, (laughs) it's it's a great film. Um, It's, I think its flaws add to the charm of it. It's probably greater than some of its parts. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it's, uh, but I think that it has these glorious parts. But yeah, there is such a charm to this movie that uh, even though there are some parts that maybe look slightly wobbly, it's it just <laughs> adds to this hugely enjoyable film. I'm surprised. I have to admit that that you came to it so late because listening to the honeymoon period you like your genre films from the 80s and stuff, and I thought you would have just not been able to avoid this one. That's... Yeah. No, I, I don't know what it was. It was just a film that I, I think I had loads of friends who really, really enjoyed it, and there is nothing going to make me think something is average more than someone telling me how great something is. So, yeah, it was always a film that I saw, and but just sort of filed it away as that film where the Frenchman plays a Scotsman and the Scotsman plays an Egyptian. You look like a woman, you stupid haggis. Haggis? What is haggis? Um, and it was only, yes, only when I had been dragged to with, by Lane to see filming locations on holiday and um, you'd travel halfway around the world to see a bridge um, that, you know, you so truly, truly, you truly learn to appreciate how great a film is. Wow, we are going to get into that. Um, and uh, I want to hear about the filming locations. So, Elaine, when did you first see it? So I, I'm child of the 80s and I saw it um, fairly soon after it came out, um, probably on a, a dodgy video, I think, at the time, if I'm th- thinking about it. Uh, but it was very much the time, sort of late 80s, I was watching films that I really shouldn't have been doing. So I have really, really early memories of watching An American Werewolf in London, for example, and having nightmares um, specifically to do with that film. So much so that I thought that my nightmare was actually a scene from the film until I watched it later on in life. Um, Michael Jackson's Thriller as well, which obviously has a has a connection there with the the makeup. Um, so all, all of those sorts of things, big boom-bastic um, soundtracks as well. I was hanging out with a lot of people who were listening to um, the Queen, like I say, Michael Jackson, Prince, those, those sorts of big 80s hitters. Um, and so Highlander, I didn't really understand it, I have to be honest. But I I knew the main premise, which was, here's this guy, he's immortal, and I love the historical aspect of it. I also realised very early on, and this is, I'm only going to be sort of like nine, ten, when I when I thought, or even maybe even eight, um, when I first saw it, I also realised just how quotable this film is and the main quotes have stayed with me until I am 41 this year and I'm still when someone says you know oh hi I'm so-and-so so if Mark says hi I'm Mark somewhere in the back of my head I am going of course you are hi I'm Candy of course you are <laughs> you know it's, it's <laughs> that sort of thing that stayed with me for such a long time that's so ace <laughs> That is uh, that is a quote that I've literally said today already. <laughs> yeah. Of course you have. <laughs> um, yeah, that gets said quite a lot on, on the podcast. I think that Rob actually cuts a lot of those out because it uh, <laughs> just becomes very indulgent after a while. But you're right about the quotability. It is such a, a good script in terms of the dialogue. I'm watching it for this. It, there are just so many lines and they always feed into conversations you're having that most people won't understand. And then there'll just be one person who'll chuckle. It's like, yeah. oh, I got it. 
yeah I've, I've found that over the years that y- you really have to sort of like know your crowd because <laughs> it, it can go yeah. desperately wrong but it is that moment where that one person sort of looks at you and gets it that's you know you, you live for those moments well, the one person who chuckles is the basis on which we've been, we've been podcasting for a number of years now. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we to that audience of one, but when they chuckle, oh, it's uh, it's worth living the um, yeah, 400 years just for that moment. But uh, okay, so we'll move into what we're going to be talking about today. And actually, this is, I think, the shortest clip that we've talked about so far. So we'll be talking about um, a segment from 12 minutes and 35 seconds to 13 minutes, 19. So just the short clip that basically is around Connor and Angus and Dougal as they march into battle, or as they, sorry, ride their horses into battle. And Connor is being chased by his lovely girlfriend, Kate, played by Celia Imry. And she has lots of advice for him and stuff. Take these flowers and think of me. Remember, you fight with God on your side, Connor. And also tells the other guys to look after him. Angus, you and Dougal keep him in one piece, do you hear? Um, so this is this is a really, really nice scene. And one of the reasons why is because you have Celia Rimmery and James Cosmo on screen together, and they are just two very, very likable actors, I think. It's always good to see them. And when they're together, it's great. But uh, but what did you guys think of this particular scene? I think for me, this, the Celia Imry aspect has been something that's been with, with me since I saw the film. She has such a small role. and But to me, especially coming out as like a child and then coming later on and seeing it as you know, my teenagers and later on, really realising that she's not really in it that much. But to me, she was such an integral part of the film. And she she races in, doesn't she? She's sort of just running behind the horses, and she's coming in, and and she like you say, she has lots of advice for him. I love the bit. It's this beautiful bit of characterization by Celia Rimmery where she you have this one shot of her before she starts running towards Connor and Angus and Dougal, where she looks down and she's sort of checking herself before you know she she's making sure that she's all there and she's running towards you yes. you know he's off to battle he'll probably die so you know need to make sure that everything's in order before I present myself and these flowers to him and I just I love that it's a tiny little piece of characterization but it says so much oh absolutely uh, but as she says you fight with God on your side Connor and um so uh, yes I think that she I'm, I don't think I knew who she was at this point and then I started seeing her in lots of different things afterwards and thought, is that the same woman from Highlander? Is that Connor's girlfriend? And it just seemed really surprising because she never really played a girlfriend part again after that. So this seemed a really atypical role for her to be playing, but it was the first thing that I saw her in. I mean, this was around the time she would have been doing Victoria Wood as seen on TV. And uh, Celia Emery, she was born in 1952. So she would have been in her her mid-30s at this point. Actually, she was born in Guildford which is very local to, to me. And I think, I think that she went to the acting school there as well. I think that's where she was trained. And yeah, as, as you say, it's, it's unusual seeing Celia Imry in the sort of role of lusty Scottish lass because she's, you sort of got used to her playing perhaps somewhat uptight, maybe slightly haughty, very English women. Um, and uh, it's an unusual bit of casting versus perhaps what she's become known for since then. But she's really endearing in the role, you know, when she, the fact, you know, not to spoil anything for, again, we're assuming everybody listening to this has seen the film, going from devotedly giving her beau flowers to calling for his death. No! 
It's a bad breakup. Yeah, we, we've all been in relationships like that, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, um, I also looked at some of the stuff that she did. Uh, so she won an Olivier Award for Acorn Antiques, the musical, which was a stage show they did in, I think, 2005 time. Um, but Mark and Lane, did you used to watch Victoria Wood? Did you know of her before Highlander? I never really watched her um, because I think my parents were more into more hail and pace people, I should say, just to generalise my parents massively. Um, so, yeah, we never really had them on um, at all. So I didn't know, I, even probably watching her in my mid-teens, I wouldn't really have known Celia Rimri at all when watching this. Um, but I know you you were a huge fan of Victoria Wood, weren't you? Yeah, I'm also looking at me. Um, yes, I, I loved all of that. I have a tin ear for comedy, but certain things really, really tickle me. And I love Victoria Wood's use of music and the rhyming and all the, the comedy songs. So I sort of knew her from there, but it took a long time to link the two characters together. Because, you know, as you say, Rob, she plays such different characters sort of later on in, in, her, in her acting career that it's difficult to put the two together with with Kate. Um, but what, one of the things that I love about Kate is you get this lovely bit of foreshadowing with the the, the zealotry that she has, this, this zest for the battle. And like you say, you fight with God on your side. And we've already seen the father, Father Rainey with his cross, you know, carrying, you know, the, the McLeods into battle. And you can really sense this this idea that she has this absolute ideology behind her. And th- th- I always felt that this bit of her, that while she's saying to Angus and Dougal, you know, bring him back in one piece, that she'd be quite happy if she, you know, had this moment of, oh, you know, um, doom and gloom and he's, he's, he's died in battle and he, she could probably live on that for a little while, you know, be, gr- be a grieving, uh, grieving girlfriend. And... Uh, all of these that you think, oh, you know, she's just in it for such a short amount of time, but she gives so much to it. I, say, I feel know, like you're writing fan fiction here. <laughs> but, but as you say, you know, she's she's angry he comes back. <laughs> yes. But that's a great point, though, about the fact that she, yeah, you could look at her as like, this is her character being introduced, but also the atmosphere of the community that they live in, because you're absolutely right. She does embody the zealotry that you're later going to see everyone display when it seems as if Connery is a devil. Um, so, yeah, there's no attempts to understand or anything like that. It's just, uh, yes, it's um, yeah, very, very deterministic that he's a devil and we're all good God-fearing folks, so therefore we have to burn him. Um, so, yeah, we're seeing like, yeah, the nicer version of her here. And I think you're right. I think she would like the drama and the tragedy of being the love of a warrior that fell on the battlefield. So uh, I think... I think we have to write that, right? I think to Mark's point, this is some fan fiction that now has to be written. We need to to write the diary of Kate. And the thing is, Connor is such a beautifully tragic youth in this. You know, set astride his horse with that long, that long mane, looking serenely into the mid distance. Um, there is also uh, reading Celia Imrie's Wikipedia page. There is what I think is a wonderfully hopeful excerpt in it. I'm going to read to you now. As part of the cast of the 2018 film Mamma Mia, here we go again, Imri achieved her first UK top 40 single. <laughs> I love I love the sheer hopefulness of her first. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that it's not going to happen again, but... Well, yes, you'd never say never, but uh, it'd be interesting to see what it is. Do you know the song that it was for? It was it? The Abba song, When I Kissed the Teacher. Oh. 
Oh, it's, it's quite a controversial one as well now, looking at it with modern eyes. Yeah, it's not aged well, that one. Everybody screams <laughs> when I kiss the teacher. <laughs> Uh, another thing that Elaine is a massive fan of is ABBA, which <laughs> oh, I was. Uh, she's also told me I'm wrong about. So um, I did, I've listened to uh, a few ABBA albums on at gunpoint at points. So <laughs> I didn't know I do quite like ABBA. And they've got some absolutely banging tunes. But um, Mark doesn't yes, know which uh, one is which in ABBA. Um, that's it's a, a constant issue in our house. Whenever they come on the telly, of my, which which ones, which one, who were they married to, and then we have to get into it. I mean, this is um, it's the exciting exciting lives in our house. You see, I mean, presumably you know which one Bjorn is. No, he didn't. No, he no, didn't no, know. no, no. He didn't know because they they came on the telly last night. <laughs> like genuinely, this happens quite a lot, and he he just didn't know. To be honest, no, I, I don't know mean. which one's which at all. No, me neither. I, I like the songs, but I don't know anything about... So Bjorn, is he the one that looks a bit like Mark Hamill's slightly chubbier brother? I don't know. Um, so Benny plays piano and Bjorn is on guitar, if that helps. Yeah, that's that's not narrowed down, I'm afraid. But, um, I, know we, one of them, I know one of the are women... Playing, are we playing Guess Who with Abba? Is that essentially... Yes. Um, a man with a beard. You'd be amazed how little that helps me. <laughs> It's all Celia Emery's fault, this, you know. <laughs> it is. She, see, everything emanates from Celia. I always thought it was weird that one of the women then went on to marry a fan. Oh, right. But uh, that's all I know about ABBA, is that that happened. And that they were offered a billion to reform and turned it down. A billion with a B? Yes, a billion with a B. By who? By some promoter who said, if you, if you reform and release an album and tour the world that's going to pay for itself. And they said, no, we don't need the money and we don't want to do that, so no. They're probably making all their money from the Mamma Mia films. Celia Emery's top 40 hit. Hasn't Abigail just spent (laughs) some stupid amount of time in the top 40 still? It's still selling albums, somehow. And actually, Mark, that's that's really good because that's the reason why we're allowed to talk about ABBA so much on a Highlander podcast is because... Sorry. (laughs) Their greatest hits album. No, 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 that's the thing is that you've linked it back in in a way that I was thinking, how am I going to tie this back in? Um, yes, of course, their greatest hits album, like Queen's greatest hits albums, just always sit high in the album charts. They're always there. And I'd imagine that most people know ABBA and Queen through the greatest hits albums. Absolutely. I mean, I've not listened to a Queen album all the way through at all, but even in my teens, I would class myself as a huge Queen fan. So, uh, yeah, completely. Also, in a deleted scene of Highlander, Connor was meant to meet Napoleon, who famously, at Waterloo, did surrender. Wow. (laughs) Oh, wow. That is amazing. That's great. Um, And now I can't get Give Me a Man After Midnight in there. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, that's fine. (laughs) So, another first for Celia Imri was that she was the first female spaceship pilot in a Star Wars movie when she appeared in The Phantom Menace because she was approached by the casting director to audition for the role of Anakin's mum, but ultimately didn't get it, but was then offered the role of um, fighter pilot Bravo 5 and said that George Lucas was a nice chap, he was very cool, and he did ask her to take off the lipstick that she'd applied because she thought, well, if I'm going to be the first female pilot in a Star Wars film... I should at least make an effort. So she put on some lippy and then he told her to take it off. Fighters straight ahead. Roger Bravo leader. 
Roger, Barbara, leader. How much did Anakin's mum smash the audition then if she beat Celia Emery? Yeah, I, I reckon, I think it might be something to do with what Rob said, is that her performance in Highlander is atypical because she typically plays quite haughty roles. And I think that the woman cast in The Phantom Menace is just is, is a very kind of like warm presence. And I think that Celia Rimri might have been a bit more of an exacting mother or something, might have been a bit more strict with Anakin, which is what he needed because he, yeah, he went up on the wrong, on the wrong path, didn't he? Well, looping back around almost immediately, Shmi Skywalker is played by Pernilla August, who is a Swedish actress. <laughs> also talking about Star Wars The Phantom Menace, there's another notable Highlander alum in there, other than, well, no, Peter Diamond's not in that one. He's in, he's in the uh, Star Wars original trilogy. Another, another supporting actor whom we will get onto in, in the not-too-distant not future, uh, Hugh Quashy. Yeah. He plays Captain Panaka. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I'm very, I'm very excited when he turns up because he has a link to the bridge, the magical bridge. <laughs> so, so I'm trying to think if we should, let's, because you're going to be on the next episode, let's have the opening of that episode be you talking about your trip to the Highlander locations. Wait, absolutely. Um, so the last thing that I'm going to say about the wonderful Celia Imri is that she's five foot five inches, but like Michelle Yeoh, she just photographs a lot taller I was. I thought she'd be about five foot eight, five foot nine, or something. I was quite surprised when I found out that she was. She's a very imposing presence for a five foot person. That's yeah. I thought. <laughs> so another point about this particular scene is that Dougal, played by Billy Hartman, has a line of dialogue that I could never understand what he was saying, and it was only when Ian, who was on the podcast last week said, what does he say there that we called up the subtitles? And can you guys guess which line I'm thinking about? Is it the one about, <laughs> not to give the game away, something about the phrases and something about a sword? That's exactly it. Could you actually make out what he was saying then about the phrase a sword? <laughs> no, it's only because we, we did a rewatch in uh, anticipation of coming on the podcast and um, I looked up the script... <laughs> Because I didn't want to appear really rubbish on the on the, the Highlander podcast, having said how much I love the film, without knowing what they were saying. I love your dedication, given that, as Robert just said, there are subtitles. You can just turn on the subtitles. But then that would be giving away the game to me, who uh, she clearly wanted to appear more intelligent in front of. Tis true, tis true. I knew nothing of this. So they're talking about Kate, and Dougal says... A girl like that can wound a soldier more than a Fraser sword, my friend. I a girl like that can wound a soldier more than a Fraser sword, my friend. Um, so yes, and I have watched Highlander since 1987, I think was the first time I've seen it, and I've seen it so many times since then, and always thought, I wonder what he's saying there, because I just cannot make out what he's saying. And by definition, given the fact that Connor doesn't actually get touched by a Fraser sword, and yet she does call for him to be burned, thereby instigating a mob who kick the shit out of him. She definitely does harm him more than a Fraser sword. <laughs> oh, absolutely. All I can hear in my mind is, burn him, burn him! <laughs> no! Burn him! <laughs> yes. So, yeah, more, more foreshadowing there. Yeah, you're absolutely right, yeah, that's right. Oh, see, you're just... There's so much thought that's gone into this film. It's so amazing. <laughs> um, can we talk about the guy that plays Dougal? Please do. Do you do you know where he's from? He um he had a recurring role in a soap 
Um, and we were really, t- we were looking up who sort of the supporting characters were. Um, and we were really surprised the other night to discover that he played a guy called Terry Woods in Emmerdale, oh, right. which is a, 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 a well, a soap we probably watch more in the in the nineties. Obviously, it's still going now, but an ITV soap, one of the one of the big hitters. Yeah, I have to admit, I never watched Emmerdale, so I wouldn't have known that. But I've just seen that he starred in nine hundred ninety-seven episodes of Emmerdale. You're thinking, why didn't they just give him another three so he could have done a thousand? <laughs> because I think they killed him off in the end. Oh, did they? 997 episodes of Emmerdale and two movies. Yes, yeah. And I couldn't believe it to put the two together. Both in the same year. It's, it's amazing. Like he, um, I think he started in 95 and finished in 2011. I think that's what, at least what Wikipedia told me. But I, I've never, ever known that he was this guy, because I knew him as soon as I saw he's quite an iconic character from Emmerdale. And as soon as I saw the photograph, I couldn't believe it, um, because he had, he's had uh, uh, quite a exciting life in Emmerdale with many marriages and landlord of pub and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I'd never, ever even thought to look up other people in that scene, obviously Celia Imry, but not looked at Dougal um, and was really surprised to see that he he had had such a, a long-standing relationship with one of the, you know, the UK's top soaps. I want all soaps to have a character to whom nothing ever happens, <laughs> that they are always there. They are never involved in any of the dramatic storylines and in fact, react with horror and incredulity at all the shit that's just going on around them. <laughs> How are you guys getting through this? Being like, Jesus! <laughs> like, um, uh, aren't you going in the pub for a drink? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's a small village and four people have been killed this year. I think I think we're cursed. Um, yeah, that's so weird. That's so. I just... I'm now getting a bit obsessed with the fact that he was in three... He was three shy of a thousand episodes and they didn't say... Shall we just keep you for another three? I mean, what a landmark. Just, just three episodes till retirement. Yes, it was three episodes until retirement. I wonder what happened that they said, no, it's going to be 997 and out. Anyway, yeah, that's, yeah, so I never saw, well, I watched a few episodes of Emmerdale. I think when it was called Emmerdale Farm. So that shows how long ago that was. And uh, yeah, but I never knew that, that Dougal was in it. Wow. And he's not the only pub landlord in this scene, is he? Uh, no. Have you discussed Father Rainey? In this year of our Lord, 1536, bring victory to the clan MacLeod. Not yet, because he's got a wonderful moment in the next scene that we're going to be talking about. So I was going to talk about him right. then. Fine. So let's hold off for that then. But, let's do that. But that's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, because I was looking him up as well and thought, oh, some interesting stuff there. Um, so we talked about this a little bit on the previous episodes that we did about the beginning of this scene. But I'm always just so amazed at just how good it looks when the entire town turn out to wave off the warriors as they go into battle and everyone's costumed and you have the castle behind them and it's like, this looks amazing. (laughs) It's so well shot with the mist coming off the lock and it sets the scene perfectly. I think if you were going to the cinema for the first time in 1986 and you would be thrown by this if you didn't know the plot inside out that you've got someone sat in Madison Square Gardens sort of um, and then all of a sudden you are just transported to the Highlands yeah that was uh, yeah that was one of the things when we watched it on a Saturday afternoon as a family 
Um, so there was some shifting during the sex scene, but uh, but yeah, it was like, <laughs> is this that opens up with American wrestling? And actually, um, is it okay, Rob, if we go slightly off book and to finish this particular <laughs> to, to finish this particular episode, go back to a bit of the wrestling because Mark, you know your wrestling, and I want to just hear a few thoughts from you about the wrestling that opens this round. Oh, I mean. <sighs> Do you really want to? I mean, I think it's putting you on the spot. You may be putting off listeners at the end. Yeah, <laughs> if listeners want to stop listening now, <laughs> they might save themselves some time. <laughs> but this is this wrestling match took place at a really key time in the history of professional wrestling because it was three weeks after the first WrestleMania. It was filmed nineteenth of April, nineteen eighty five, and as, I think as you discussed when you discussed it, it was actually an AWA event. Um, which was a rival promotion to the WWF stroke E, as everyone knows it now, that was based out of Minnesota. The WWF had just started to go national at this point. Um, traditionally, wrestling through the 70s and early 80s was a regional promotion, and there were regions in every different area of the U- USA, um, with WWF taking the New York area and AWA taking the... Minnesota area Um, and they teamed up a few of the guys who were a bit put out by Vince McMahon buying all their talent and going national and running against them with their former talent themselves decided to team up and try and take on Vince McMahon at his own game so this was filmed in the uh, Meadowlands in New Jersey so it really was them going into Vince McMahon's back garden to to, to take him on I think the sh- the match is the Freebirds, uh, which is Terry Garvin, Buddy Roberts, and Michael Hayes. I've not got any notes in front of me on this. I'm just going on somewhere. He's looking really proud of himself, by yeah. the way, just to say. Yeah, can I just say that I was a little bit worried that I was going to put you on the spot? Oh, here. no, no, no. This is amazing. No. This is amazing. So just keep, just continue. <laughs> and then they're taking on the Tonga Kid. Um, Greg Gagne, who was the son of the owner of the AWA, and Jim Brunzel, I think they were called the High Flyers. Um, They'd started this alternate promotion called Pro Wrestling USA with um, Jim Crockett Promotions, which worked down in Charlotte, um, North Carolina and South Carolina. That was their little region, and trying to do super shows just to take on the WWF. Within a couple of months of this, I think it had all fallen apart because it was wrestling and egos got in the way and people were trying to poach each other's talent. Um, but yeah, this was this was them going against um, Vince McMahon in his own back garden. Uh, funnily enough, Vince McMahon had a monopoly over the Madison Square Gardens, which is why they couldn't film there specifically. Um, but if you were going to film a wrestling match in New York, it would be in Madison Square Gardens. I could go on. I would bore your audience to death, so I won't. Um, yeah. Just to say that Mark actually showed me footage of the the match, the match as it took place uh, earlier on today. You found some footage, didn't you? Yeah, on the WWE Network, they've actually got the, because that's what I subscribe to, um, they have the full show that this is based on, uh, kind of hidden away, that it's not said like the Highlander match or anything like that. It's really badly shot. It's like mm. just a sort of one hand cam from the side of the ring. Um, but you can see sort of like the, the the camera sweeping round, sort of from the other angle. You can you can see the bit where one of the wrestlers, whose name I do not know, is bashing his head, you know, in on the side of the ring that you oh, do yeah. see. Terry Gordon. Um, thank you. Um, and and the, the guy that takes his 
costume. I'm looking at Mark, the guy who gets his gets his top out. And, Michael you know, Hayes. That's him. Yeah. Um, Michael the- P.S. Hayes. <laughs> P.S. Standing for pure sexy. Oh. <laughs> I don't think that was a given name. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's amazing to actually see it from a different angle. Actually, see the real match going on. Oh well, did you say that was something that you had to subscribe to, Mark? That that's not on. On YouTube. No, that's on that's on the WWE Network, which is oh, okay. um, the specialist cable service that they run. Obviously, since they've put everyone else out of business, they've bought their all the tape libraries. So, yeah, unfortunately, I'll, if it's on, if it's available anywhere else, I'll I'll find it and uh, send it, send you the link. Yeah, great. If, it is, then we can put it. if available, we'll include that in the show notes. Yeah, indeed. It's uh, so. Well, thank you for that, because I just, I just knew that you would know something about the wrestlers. I just didn't know it would be that wonderful that you knew why it wasn't filmed in Madison Square Garden and all that stuff. It's like, oh, Rob, we're going to have to raise our game here a bit, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just scratching the surface. I could do a four-hour special on this, uh, but yeah, probably best not. Well, the one thing actually that I wanted to ask, but then I realised you didn't see this until the late 90s, so you definitely would have been watching American wrestling by that point, is that... When I first saw this, I used to like the Saturday afternoon wrestling on World of Sport, which was, yeah, Giant Haystacks and Big Daddy and those kind of guys. But it was all low rent. And the beginning of Highlander, when I first saw it, as I think I'd have been about 12 or 13, was like, look at this. Look at American wrestling. This is proper gladiator sport and how amazing it looks. Because there wasn't, we weren't really seeing a lot of American wrestling in 1986 or 87, I don't think. Yeah, certainly not on the the four channels that I had access to. So it just looked like something else um, and something much bigger and better than what we were getting. Uh, but yeah, you would have just been watching it throughout the 90s, wouldn't you? And then you would have come to Highlander and it, and that would have looked quite old by the time you had come to see it because around the late 90s was the Rock and Triple H and stuff, wasn't it? Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, the weird thing is, um, Michael Hayes, Michael P.S. Hayes, actually went what to work. What does P.S. stand for, sorry? Uh, it's pure sexy. Uh, <laughs> see, I can see why his parents gave him that name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's normative determinism, definitely, um, if you look at the women in the crowd. Um, yeah, he was working for the WWF by the mid-90s as a commentator um, and a, like a backstage interviewer. Um, but I did not recognise him when I saw this. Uh, it was only sort of later on that I was like, oh, it's him. Um, he's still employed now. He's, I think he's like one of the head of the creative team uh, in WWF to this day. If you look him up, there is he's had some moments. How he's still employed by that company um, is a, a, an ongoing question. Um, he he got drunk at Vince McMahon's daughter's wedding to Triple H uh, and stormed the stage and st- insisted on singing karaoke, which I suspect it was not that sort of bash. But it feels very on brand for professional wrestling. Was that the real wedding? Sorry, yeah, no, the, the, this is the real wedding. I mean, the, the fake wedding actually took place in a drive-through w- wedding booth in, um, in Las Vegas where I nearly, nearly got Elaine to agree to get married in the same place. But um, True story. Yeah. Fate was not fate was not upon us. I think Elaine's good taste was was the right thing. Yeah, that's why I mean it would have been cool, but uh, it's across the road from an adult bookstore, adult video store. So uh, yeah, it's so it was Rudy Giuliani there as well, just giving a speech about how they hadn't lost the election. <laughs> well, yes, such a, yes, such yes. an old reference now. Took it in his shirt, and uh, yeah, that's right. Yes. Um, okay, that that was great. I just wanted to ask you. Um, a little bit about the wrestling. Thank you for indulging oh, me. That's great. Um, and just to, uh, was that, so did Triple H in real life marry Stephanie McMahon? Yeah, they married on screen and then 
fell in love behind behind the scenes as well. Um, he was dating another wrestler called China at the time. Was it a long, happy, and functional marriage, as I suspect? <laughs> it was because he's now head of um, <laughs> chief something or other for the. He's he's essentially got himself a job for life. So uh, yeah, he's married into the business now. Yeah, it's, uh, he he is the heir apparent of Intimate Man. Wow, I didn't know that. Uh, anyway, yes. Yeah, so, um, well, I think you need to start up a wrestling podcast as well, Mark. This is great. Oh, please don't. He's been he's been talking about this for such a long time. I think it was one of your original ideas, wasn't it? Before we did sort of like film and TV, you really wanted to do a wrestling podcast, but yeah, I, I, I j- didn't feel I had the uh, the knowledge. I just wanted to spend my time making Elaine watch wrestling with me. I think um, that was it. And but instead, I just had to settle for making her watch films that I know that she'll dislike. So you know, yeah. <laughs> well, it's worked out quite well. Okay, then. So, is there anything else to say about this? What is it? Thirty-four second clip. Um, <laughs> I mean, we, we do need to talk about the Burning Cross. <laughs> yeah, Rob, yes, over to yes. you for the Burning Cross. All right, actually, yes, um, our guess. Over to you for the Burning Cross. That has different connotations now, doesn't it? Yeah, I think you just want to see our faces, really, because we watched it a couple of times recently, and every time that comes on, it's, it's really jarring, a really jarring moment. We do sort of like look at each other and go, hmm, that's interesting. I'm so glad you mentioned that, because I remember to think, what did that mean in the 1500s? Well, I mean, obviously Highlander is the only historically significant film to include a burning cross. I can't think of any others, and I don't want to know. Um, but the, uh, the burning cross was actually a Scottish tradition called Clan Tarrar, which is where the clan got it. It appears in the poetry of Sir Walter Scott. It was also used in the War of 1812. Um, so there is like a, a proper non-racist um, Scottish tradition concerning this that obviously uh, got hijacked by the clan in, you know, I guess in a not dissimilar way from maybe the swastika was, was hijacked by the Nazis. Mm. So, you know, the good old, the good, the good, healthy, natural tradition of burning crosses uh, was, uh, has, has been corrupted into something foul and perverted. Um, but yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a Scottish tradition. And that's just minutes in the film after the Freebirds come out wearing Confederate flags, so... Um... <laughs> that's right. That's a very good point. Wow. <laughs> we are not going to read too much into this. Not at this stage. No, this can't be subtext. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I told you we should have gone with Birth of a Nation. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out the Highland is the most racist film ever. No, I don't I think that's yes, I'm I'm with Rob on this one. We can't go too too far into that. That's yes, yeah, that's a really good point though about the Confederate flag was that uh in the eighties that just meant the Dukes of Hazard, really. It was uh... yeah. I think it's just based in Georgia. I think the Georgia flag. I don't know whether it still has, but at the time, certainly was based on the Confederate flag. Um, so I think that's where that's from, just to give them somewhat of an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. Then, is there any anything else from this particular clip that we need to talk about, other than just how wonderful and gallant Christopher Lambert looks as he proudly rides his horse into battle? Could I? one question of, of all of you because it's something that I'm going to say weighed on my mind but I'm laughing while I'm saying that uh, it's weighed on my mind for quite some time do, do you actually think that Connor is that interested in Kate my, my feeling is because he's got this steely determination as he's going off into battle uh, my feeling is that he's really much more interested in being the warrior than actually this lovely woman who's running after him with the flowers. I just, I never felt that there was that much of a connection between the two of them. And maybe that's what the film wants us to think because of everything that comes after. But I just never got the sense that he was really that bothered with Kate. 
Do you think she has form on demanding that people be burned? This isn't the first time. Like, <laughs> drop of a hat, she'll start screaming that somebody needs to be burned. No! Burn the <laughs> and he's like, oh, you want to be, you want to be careful with that one, Connor. She's a fiery one. <laughs> she, you know. Dougal is is telling him, you know. I think it's one of those things where it's two different things because of the shot choices. So I know, I know exactly what you mean that he is. He is much more interested, yes, when you see the look on his face. Um, although you cannot, I think you can argue also that that is him trying to play the big warrior in front of Angus and Dougal. But there is there is something about him where he looks much more like a man of destiny in the close-ups. In the wider shots, particularly when she gives him the flowers, he, and he gives her a kiss, he leans down off his horse and gives her a kiss. And then he's kind of like, you know, joshing with the others and he's, and it's a much lighter performance that Christopher Lambert's giving. And he does seem to be yeah, more into the idea that he's, that he's with Kate there. So I think it's one of those things where, the, yeah, he was just giving two very different performances and they cut them together. Stunned silence. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking about it. I was like, I don't know why it stayed with me for such a long time. But I, that, that's really interesting that you've got that view on it with the, the shots and... There's, there's, there's a levity to the scene, isn't there? But there's also this idea of something is coming. Mm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking way too much into it, really. I think. No, that's why you're here. <laughs> this whole podcast is, Elaine, is premised on the basis of we're going to think about this film more than ever. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to have fun doing it, damn it. Um, <laughs> on that note, um, we will leave the audience to ponder on that as well as to as to what they think that Connor's idea of a relationship with Kate is. But before we go, let's do plugs. So Mark and Elaine, where can people find you on Twitter or on the internet? We are The Honeymoon Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And we're thehoneymoonperiod.com. We are notoriously bad at doing plugs, as you can probably tell. We're thehoneymoonperiod.com. Pod.com? No, 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 no. Well, I recommend to our listeners that they go and listen to the Honeymoon Period podcast wherever they listen to their podcasts, because uh, it is a grand film and TV podcast. Here, here. And Rob, where can people find you on the internet? Um, if you're so inclined, you can follow me on Twitter at Robert M. Wallace and find my writing at of all the film sites, www.ofallthefilmsites.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Rob underscore A underscore Daniel. You can find my writing at electric-shadows.com. We also do a sister podcast called The Movie Robcast. That's available wherever you listen to your podcast, and that's also on Twitter at Movie Robcast. And if you liked what you've heard today, then why not rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts? It always is appreciated, and it helps us out. So thank you very much. You can also follow uh, this podcast on Twitter at McLeod Time. And it'd be great, uh, as Rob said, if you can leave any feedback. You can also contact us over email uh, if you have any feedback, if you've got any interesting Highlander-related stories at who wants to pod forever at gmail.com. Genius. Now, what is better than one episode with Mark and Elaine from the Honeymoon Period podcast? two episodes with Mark and Elaine from the Honeymoon Period podcast. They are being so wonderful and have agreed to stay on for the next episode, which will be coming to you next week. Until then... Another time, McLeod! Another time, McLeod! Keeping that, fantastic. (laughs)